You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Hello and welcome everyone to The Way Home Podcast. This is Dan Darling, your host. I'm so glad you're joining me today, wherever you're joining me from. And whether you're in your commute to work or in the carpool line with your kids, or perhaps you are washing dishes or doing things around the house, I listen to podcasts doing all of those things and more. So just glad that you've downloaded this and tuned in today. We have a wonderful guest for you today. Before we get to him, however, I want to tell you again about my new book, called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loves. It's published by Zondervan. The forward is by J.D. Greer, who's pastor of Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He's on radio and television all over the world. J.D.'s a great friend. I'm so glad he wrote that forward. This is a book that really focuses on Christian unity. It focuses on friendship and love. I don't know about you, but in the last five to six years, there are so many things that are threatening to divide the American church, threatening to divide brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm talking about people who agree on on basic values, on basic things that they believe, but on secondary and tertiary things have said, we no longer can be friends. And so I want to talk about some of my own experience in forgiving. I'm going to talk about church hurt in this book, where if you've been hurt by the church, and yet why I'm hopeful about the evangelical church, why I'm hopeful about the American church. So I think you'll enjoy it. It's called Agents of Grace, How to Bridge Divides and Love as Jesus Loves. It's from Zondervan. You can get it anywhere books are sold. I would love for you right now to pre-order this book through Amazon or Barnes & Noble or anywhere to just give a signal to publishers that there's a lot of attention being paid to this book. I think it would really be super helpful. In fact, I will play a clip of the audiobook that I recorded myself. Uh, I'll play that in a few minutes, just a little sample, so you get an idea of what the book is about. Okay, my next guest is my friend Cole Douglas Claiborne. Uh, Cole is a fascinating guy. He is a journalist. He's a teacher. He does a lot of work for Sports Spectrum magazine, which profiles Christian athletes on their uh, journey of faith in Christ. His full-time role is with U.S. News & World Report, where he writes about education. So we we have some conversations here about higher education and the state of higher education, where that is. He also has experience as a teacher. He takes time, too, in this conversation to share about his experience living in Bowling Green, Kentucky, when a tornado came through that town and actually essentially destroyed their house uh, and what that experience was like. He's written about it for a number of places. I think you'll really like his story. Let's turn to our conversation with Cole Claiborne. I'm glad to have on the podcast, my good friend, Cole Claiborne. Cole, thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, this is great. We haven't, we haven't caught up in a while, so this will be fun. And I didn't call you Clay like everyone else does. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, it's a common mistake. And at this point in my life, I just kind of, I just kind of respond to it. Like I, I get called Clay probably five times a week and, and a lot of email pitches refer to me as Clay that I'm just at the point now where I... I respond to it. So it is what it is. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to talk about a bunch of things. You're a journalist. You were a teacher for a long time. You're a huge Chicago Bears fan. 
sports, unfortunately, um, sometimes. You cover, <laughs> you now are a journalist for US News and World Report covering higher education. So let's first talk about an experience you had a couple years ago, though, where a tornado came through your town, a Bowling Green, Kentucky, there, and what that was like. We just moved to Fort Worth here. We've been here almost a year. When we lived in Nashville, we had. Uh, several tornadoes. One, one went right over our house, and uh, right yeah. behind, like the neighborhood behind us. Kind of scary when it's in your neighborhood, but actually having your own house destroyed is really, t- really hard. So, talk about that experience and kind of where you are now, a little bit removed from it. Yeah, that was a very difficult year. We were displaced for about nine months, and I tell people a lot. The reason why that was so difficult for me was. My wife had already planned to be out of town that weekend. So she left earlier that day to go visit some friends in Louisville. And it was one of those things where the weather people had hyped up the storm, which a lot of times is accurate Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not accurate. And for whatever reason, I just kind of felt like there was some legitimacy to to this hyping up. And so that whole day I was pretty on edge and was kind of glued to the TV, glued to Twitter. And then as the storms rolled into Western Kentucky and saw what happened in Mayfield and other towns, I was kind of getting a little uneasy that it was going to be coming our way. And then sure enough, there was a storm cell that popped up in a, in a county just southwest of us. And it was tracking straight toward the middle of our city. And that's where we live. Uh, and I was like, that looks like it's coming straight here. And so I ended up getting our cats in the, in the carriers and took them down to the basement. And it was about 15, 20 minutes later that I heard it get really loud. And, and I didn't really know what it was at the time. I kind of just was thinking maybe it's just a, a lot of wind. I just thought maybe it was a bad storm. You know, I mean, it was going to be a bad storm, but I thought basically I didn't think it was a tornado until I heard the door to our basement just slam shut. And I knew that, you know, some part of our house had been opened up. And so I walked up and saw just a gaping hole in our bedroom, kind of in our back, like laundry room area. And so where I'm sitting in our office, it came basically right through here, just missed this office and hit this other side of our house. And about 75 yards up that way uh, to another, to the intersection, somebody's house was completely destroyed. It's not there anymore. And so we just barely missed a, a, a dead, a dead on hit. Uh, so that was just a really trying time of my life just because we were out of our, out of our house. You know, we were fortunate that my, my wife's parents let us live with them for about nine months and, and really took care of us. But we had a whole lot of other stuff happen in that, in that, you know, really the first six months after that, that just one of those, those seasons of life that really test your faith and really you just ask God why a lot of times, you know, we had another storm come through about three weeks later, around the same time my wife got COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. Later on that, that spring, my wife got shingles and she was 29 years old, which is mm-hmm. random. You, know, you don't, never, don't really hear that with younger people, but she had that to deal with for a few weeks. And then her car, which we'd already paid off, just quit working like a nice Subaru Outback, just quit working. And so we had to buy a new car and that was just a huge expense we weren't prepared for. So just a lot of like unforeseen, unplanned and unfortunate things happened within a, you know, a short amount of time. Uh, And so it just was a very hard season. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we've had seasons like that. We're we're in somewhat of a season like that, where it's just a bunch of stuff happening at the same time. And you're like, okay, Lord, How much are you going to send our way? Mm-hmm. But when you when you think about a natural disaster, I, I you know, we often say if a tornado rampages through your town or a hurricane if you're on the coast or something, well, it's as long as you survive, it's just stuff. And to a certain extent, we agree with that. You know, hey, we survived, we're alive. But I actually think it's more complicated than that. You know, to see the place that you live and make your home destroyed, and it's 
you know, really complicated to get rebuilt with insurance and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and hard. We had a friend who lost their house during the tornado in, in Nashville, and it took about a year to get back into their house. And they had to live in a hotel, and this was during COVID. So, you know, it's not just – it is just stuff, but it's it's more than that, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just a headache, like you're saying. I mean, I know it sounds like – first world problem, but like it, it is such a giant headache to deal with insurance. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we, we were fortunate. We, we rent this house because we weren't sure whenever we moved here, what, what we were going to do. And we haven't, you know, we're trying to save money to buy a house, but like that was fortunate from that perspective that we didn't have to deal with some of the home ownership stuff. But like even the renter's insurance was annoying because like we got lowballed on this, on the, on the payout mm-hmm. and certain things they said they were going to cover. They didn't end up covering, but it's just annoying that like you have to, move out. And like, you know, it's just, it's just a whole headache. And it took contractors so long to get the work done. Even whenever we moved back in, back in August, there was a lot of work that still needed to be done. We really didn't get everything done until about the year mark or even after the year mark. And so like, we're obviously grateful to be back in the house, but it's just one of those things now where honestly, when a storm comes through, I do get anxious because of the, you know, the trauma of that night. But part of it too, is just that like, I just don't want to have to deal with any of the insurance again. Like we have a giant tree in our front yard that made it through the storm, but I'm worried anytime that there's wind that it's going to fall on our house. It's about 20, 25 feet from our house. So I'm like, I just don't want to have to deal with that again. So it's just a giant headache. And even after the tornado, I, I put my car in the garage that night really because I was worried about hail, not a tornado. I thought I was worried about, you know, hail hitting my car. Well, later that week when the insurance guy was at our house, you know, observing everything, when he was leaving, we had to park over at, there's an Arby's right up here, a block up, up from our house. We had to park there because all the roads were blocked from trees still. Well, he parked next to me and as he was bl- backing out, he backed into my car. And I was like, my car just made it through a tornado and now I've got to go get it fixed from this guy hitting it as he was coming to adjust our house or you know get, get the adjustment done in our house. So yeah, I mean, it is just stuff, but like yeah. a lot of this stuff means a lot to us. Like, I mean, yeah. you're, we're doing this on video and you can see like all of these books behind me are my, are my wife's books and she, she loves to read. She reads more than anybody else I've ever met. And, and like this stuff matters to her. And like, yeah. it, it's like, you know, like it's, it's just hard to, I remember well, thankfully we didn't lose anything of significance, but like, you know, some people have lost everything and it's, and it's hard to replace all of that. It really is. I remember driving through Mount Juliet through neighborhoods the day after the tornado and just being heartbroken to see mm-hmm. houses totally just destroyed stuff strewn everywhere and thinking, you know, if, if the wind blows a little bit different course, that could be us. And so, yeah. you know, just trying to, to, to grapple with that. Uh, well, I'm glad you shared your story and you've, you've, it's been really great to, to hear how you and your wife have kind of endured that. So let's talk a little bit about what you do. You're a teacher, but now you're, uh, you're a journalist. You were teaching for a while. Now you're a journalist again. You now cover higher ed for US News and World Report. Have you always wanted to be a journalist? I mean, it's something where you always loved words, you always writing stories. What, what sparked your interest in that? Yeah, so I think you, I think you know my brother a little bit from the internet. My brother Joshua Claiborne, he he really was kind of a big inspiration for me in terms of writing because he he was really in early on that blogging scene in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and I saw what he was doing. And frankly, in high school, middle school, I, I was not like a huge writer. I knew that I loved sports, and mm-hmm. so I remember very distinctly uh, we were at. I think it was the circus around Thanksgiving time back in Evansville where we live. And I remember talking to my brother Josh, and I was like 
hey, how do you do this blogging stuff? And he was like, well, I could help you get set up with one. What would you want to write about? And I said, well, I guess sports. That's about all I would know to write about. And so when I was about a sophomore or junior in high school, I started this sports blog, you know, completely primitive. Probably if I went back, it'd be really embarrassing to read whatever I wrote. But uh, I, I took that and I joined the high school newspaper. And then I got a job at the local newspaper whenever I was a junior in high school as well and and got to have some stuff published. So I knew at the time that I wanted to major in journalism and I wanted to study journalism. And so I did that. I went to Western Kentucky, was editor of the student newspaper, covered sports there, and then did journalism for about four years until I got asked to coach tennis back in my mid-20s. And I had played tennis all throughout my you know time growing up in middle school and high school. And so I started coaching and I was like, I really like this. And at the time, I was working for a newspaper that had just got bought by Gannett. And anybody who knows journalism knows you don't really want to be in the crosshairs of Gannett a lot of times because they're known for cutting positions. And so I thought, I'm already kind of on the fence. Uh, I don't know that I want to stick around to see what happens with this job. So I decided at that time to make a switch and go into teaching because I thought, I think I want to get married soon. I was dating my wife, Emily, at the time. Uh, we weren't engaged yet or anything, but I was like, I think I want to get you know get married soon and I'd rather have a stable job that I don't have to worry about and have, you know, a more normal schedule. Cause I was having to work Sundays and work some really odd hours. And I was just kind of like, I don't know that I want that for the rest of my life. And so at the time I thought teaching was where I wanted to go. And I really loved it. I got into teaching and coaching. I was a yearbook advisor. So I did some journalism there and still did some freelance writing every now and then. Uh, and then the summer that I moved to Bowling Green, which was 2019, I was connected with a guy named Stephen Copeland. And Stephen is the guy that has written a couple books with Jason Romano, who is the, mm-hmm. uh, director of media at Sports Spectrum. And so uh, Steven said, hey, you ought to reach out to these guys at Sports Spectrum. He used to be a writer there and he knew Jason, obviously. And so that summer I connected with them and they were like, hey, we don't really have anything to for you to, to do quite yet. And then I had Jason on my podcast in early 2020 and he was like, hey, why don't you come on and write with us? And so really since 2020, uh, I've, been, I've been writing and now producing podcasts with Sports Spectrum too. And so really last year when the tornado hit, I, I just was having a lot of Second thoughts about teaching. I had a student who uh, had passed away earlier in the year mm-hmm. with an, an ATV accident. That was really difficult to deal with. Teaching during COVID was incredibly difficult to, to deal with. And I, I just, all the stuff that I was describing earlier that my wife and I went through really happened during, the, you know, about this time last year. And I remember being on spring break, which was about this time last year, and just applying to a ton of jobs and trying to find any job that I could get into that I felt qualified, that I was qualified for. So I kind of felt like I wanted to go back into journalism and just be in a spot where I could regulate my my own emotions a little bit more. Like teaching's hard because you're dealing with your own stuff, but then you've got hundreds of other kids in your classes that you've got to deal with and personalities. And I I just felt like I wasn't I wasn't in the right frame of mind to be doing that job with all the stuff that was going on. Like I was just you know too busy thinking about all of our other real life stuff. And I couldn't really focus on my job that well. And so I just got burnt out, to be honest with you. And so I, uh, I was looking for jobs and, and found this one at US News. I think it was around last April that the job was posted. And then I interviewed for it in May and then uh, started in June. And so it's been really good because I feel like I'm using all of my educational and professional experience in this job because I have a, you know, I went back to school to get my teaching license. So I've got that education. My undergrad is in journalism and creative writing. And then obviously I taught. So I'm doing, I'm kind of doing everything. I'm doing journalism and covering education, which is kind of a, a good mix of both worlds. Yeah, that's great. I mean, when I was a kid, we used to get US News and World Report and we and we had it delivered to our house every week and I yeah. read it cover to cover. I was one of those nerdy kids. I read all three newspapers, Chicago Tribune, Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago uh, the Daily Herald. 
And then mm-hmm. also U.S. News Weekly. And if I could get my hands on Tom or Newsweek, I'd read those too. Uh, this is, you know, for, for the kids listening out there, this is before the internet, before yeah. you can just get news <laughs> on the internet. Um, Back when print journalism was still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A moment of silence for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you cover higher education and uh, I think it's fascinating. You know, I'm in higher education, Christian higher ed mm-hmm. here at the college, Texas Baptist College. And you know, there's a lot of conflicting thoughts about higher ed, Christian higher ed right now. I'm curious to get your thoughts. I mean, there are some people saying, you know, obviously there's the, the soaring cost of higher education. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, cost of a degree has gotten more expensive. You have some people saying, yeah, do people really need to go to college? Should they just, you know, and I've always, I mean, what I'm telling my four kids is first of all, you're going to college unless you have a vocation <laughs> or a trade that you mm-hmm. know you can do. And that's where you feel God has called you. But you still look at all the numbers and getting a college degree in terms of economic you know, opportunity. But I also think of it more, less – I mean, it, it obviously is – I think it's necessary. to. Otherwise, you sort of have a, a ceiling on your career unless it, you're in a vocation like a trade. But I also think it's more than that. And I'm, I, I tell our students that, you know, college is more than just a credential. It's teaching you how to think, teaching you, you know, a lot of the classes you're taking, you're not going to do in your, in your, in your job, but it's teaching you how to be a whole person. So mm-hmm. I, I'm curious what you think and what you kind of, as you survey the landscape, what, what are some of your observations? covering it just about like uh the value of a college degree and things like yeah, that well, that, that and just kind of kind of some of the the uh, tensions and pressures on on higher education as well yeah it's interesting because uh, i did a call the other the other day uh with some folks from common app common app is this uh website or this service that uh, many colleges subscribe to basically allows students to fill out one application and it gets dispersed to you know whatever colleges they want to send that are on this this application uh, platform and the applications have gone up. I, I want to, I, I can't remember the, the percentage now at the top of my head, but they've gone up pretty significantly since COVID. So essentially what happened was during COVID students weren't applying to colleges at a higher rate because they weren't in school. They didn't have their account. They didn't have their counselors or their teachers to help them. And so, you know, now what's happened is a lot of colleges, I'm sure you're familiar with this are going with an approach that's called test optional. They're not mm-hmm. really requiring the SAT or the ACT anymore. And in a lot of ways, that's, that's a good thing because we're seeing applications go up from first generation students, uh, from minority students, uh, students that typically would not have gone to college maybe 10 years ago or even applied to college because the access to testing or to ac- the access to just to the education that they need to go there is not, is not there. I mean, and, and now a lot of schools, like when I taught, they would provide every, every junior the opportunity to take either the SAT or the ACT for free one time. So in Indiana, when I taught, it was the SAT in Kentucky, we would give the students a chance mm-hmm. to take the ACT and not every student took advantage of it. But I always told the students, like, you don't really know what your, what your life is going to, to amount to. You don't know what your, what your mind might change, you know? And so just like me, for example, I, I changed in my mid twenties to become a teacher. So a lot of students do go into a vocation. And I would say that anecdotally, I noticed that as a teacher, more students seem to be okay with not going to college and instead either going to a one or two year trade school or just going straight into a trade than I really noticed when I was a student. And perhaps that was because the classes that I took in high school, that was around students whose 
priority was more so to go to college. But it just seemed like there was anecdotally more students that are okay and realizing maybe I don't want to pay for a college education. I'd rather just go make money because, yeah, there is a chance that you can make pretty good money without having to go to get a college degree. But a lot of times in those jobs, even if you want to move up to a managerial role, there is some mm-hmm. sort of educational requirement. So that's what I would tell my students was take advantage of these tests because you get to do it for free and, and in your own school building. When you and I took those tests, you had to probably go on a Saturday morning to another school that you weren't familiar with, pay money to take it and use up four hours of a Saturday. And it was a whole different environment. And so, yeah, it's it's very different now. And the cost of college, like you said, is still going up incredibly. It's, it's a shame because- you want you, you tell kids you want them to go get a college degree and you tell them this is going to be this great investment. But a lot of times, unless it's a STEM career, there's not really a ton of ROI for a lot of jobs. And, yeah. and I say that as somebody who majored in journalism and minored in creative writing. I mean, I was well aware of what I was walking into. But And that's not to say you can't create or find a niche job that, that pays well. But man, a lot, like when I do any, any stories that look at, you know, the, the biggest ROI on certain degrees, it's almost always STEM careers. So science, technical, science, tech, engineering, math, things like that. That's where generally a lot of the higher paying jobs are. Yeah. And that's, that's something I think, you know, I, I have, I have mixed feelings on that. I think in one sense, it's like, go get the job with the highest paying upside. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think I read a stat where like 70% of people are working jobs that are not in their major. So I think for a lot of places, they just want to see that you have a college degree, not necessarily what it's in. Now, there's some obvious exceptions, engineering, medical fields, law, all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. And, And so if you see colleges just not just you know, a credential, it, it can be, or a pathway to a job, but also if you see it as kind of shaping the whole person and, and being curious and, and how to study and how to, how to be that kind of, cause you know, we're, we're more than just people at work. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're husbands and fa- fathers and we're, we're church people and we're citizens, you know? So I, that's kind of what I tell my kids about that. We'll be right back with our guest, but right now I'd like you to listen to a sample chapter of my book, Agents of Grace. I'm writing to say, that God is still at work in the world and to say that Christian love and spiritual unity are still worth pursuing. While I've been hurt by Christians, I've also been immensely blessed by Christians. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been there for me in my pain. Single mothers who made meals when my wife endured a serious illness. Small group leaders who gave me money when I was suddenly unemployed and scared. A pastor who called and preached the word of God to me when I was in despair. I've been blessed by wise matriarchs with arthritic knees who called on spiritual fire from heaven on my behalf when I was weak. I've been healed by friends who left everything and came to my side when I needed hope. Thank you for listening to the sample chapter of Agents of Grace. As a reminder, you can get this book anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, danieldarling.com for more information. But for now, let's rejoin our conversation on the Way Home Podcast. You raised some good points. And I think the ACT, the testing thing, I'm, I'm mixed about that too. And I'm curious your thoughts. On the one hand, I think it is helpful for folks who may not test well so that they look at everything else about uh, that person and let them in. On the other hand, someone who does test really well, it can be a, especially people who come from economically disadvantaged environments that are really smart, it can be a pathway out. So you know, yeah. kind of mixed there, right? But schools are kind of doing it all differently. My 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 daughter is uh, going to college next year, and she's 
apply different places. Some places require, some don't. Some are options. Some mm-hmm. s- some places it's like you don't have to turn in your test scores, but if but here's a set of scholarships. Yep. And if you want to be eligible for those, you turn it in. So that seems like an interesting approach too. But I'm curious your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, and on that's that. that's what that's what a lot of a lot of schools do. And what I've heard too, and this is even up to the graduate school level, like the the GMAT, which is the test that is is given to business school applicants, they are completely revamping the test later this year. And it's basically in response to a lot of schools either moving test optional or accepting things like the GRE, because schools are kind of realizing like, hey, the test is a great indicator, but it's also not the only indicator. You know, I think a lot of schools are, are opening up to the idea that the, a student is much more than just their test results. And so, th- a lot of times people in higher ed will use this term hol- holistic review. That's how they review applicants. So, they'll they'll say your, your test scores are just one part of your application puzzle. And I think when I was a student, at least, I had this, this idea, maybe it was a misconception, but I had this idea that my test score was going to make or break my admittance into a college. And, you know, you can, you can score poorly now on a test and say, well, maybe I don't want to submit that and just let the school, you know, dictate if I get in based on my extracurriculars, my, you know, my school, my GPA, uh, things like that, your essay, your personal essay, a lot of those things, I feel like it's almost like if you were to, to think of it as a pie, maybe earlier where the test scores had a bigger piece of the pie, they, they have a smaller piece of the pie now. And I think COVID, COVID changed a lot of things. As we know, I think this was definitely one of them where they just simply couldn't take test scores because students didn't have a way to take them. And so they realized, well, maybe we can get more students now if we don't, if we don't require the tests. I mean, that's another reason why applications are up because students feel like they don't have to submit the test scores. And they're like, well, previously where students may have said, I'm not going to go to college simply because I don't want to have to take the test to get in there. Now they're kind of like, well, if I don't have to do that and I don't have to pay for it and I don't have to study for it, I'll just submit what I have, which is, you know, my my GPA and everything else that I've done in high school. And usually that's good enough to get into, you know, either a community college or any kind of state school that, you know, has a higher acceptance rate. So it's definitely interesting, but I think there is some incentive where basically like if your GPA is is poor, maybe you're not a great, maybe you're not a great student in class, but you are a great test taker, that t- test score can actually help balance the bucket out a little bit. And that's the same at graduate schools too, because, you know, you don't if you're a if you're a student who maybe is going to go to business school or something and you're thinking about taking the GRE or the GMAT well if your if your college GPA or academic performance was not great but now you're a little bit older you've had some professional experience maybe you're wiser i know that was the case for me where i felt like i was much sharper in my in my mid to late 20s than i was as a, as a teenager you know i, I might feel like this this test can represent me better than than my GPA did so I may want to go take it. So yeah, it's 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 optional, so which I think is probably good, but I do I do think it's probably good for some schools to uh, make them make there be an incentive for students to take those tests as well like you said with scholarships and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to talk sports a little bit with the yeah, remaining absolutely. time time that we have. You and I are both Bears fans who are um <laughs> Long-suffering Bears fans. And so yeah. I just want to get your assessment on the Bears offseason. It has been exciting. I will say it's one of those rare times that it's exciting to be a Bears fan. And one thing that I, I've said to anybody who's asked me about this, the previous GM, Ryan Pace, I, I just was not a fan of. I, I mean, I don't think many people were by the end of his time. And 
typically when there was an opportunity like the Bears had this year with the number one draft pick to trade down and, and recoup some draft picks and some players, I always kind of felt like Ryan Pace would have would have screwed that up somehow. And this year, I just had all the faith in Ryan Poles. I don't know what it was. I think I the way too. that he handled the season, I just felt like he's going to navigate this. And everything that I read said that he was handling it. Like I read one story where it said he's he's playing this like a virtuoso. And I was like, well, that's a good good indication that things are going well. So, you know, they got the number one draft pick, which it's never it's never a good season when you get the number one draft pick. But in the Bears case, when you've already got a quarterback that you feel pretty good about, you know other teams are going to be trading up, especially in a year when you've got guys like B, uh, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and Will Levis and Anthony mm-hmm. Richardson and other guys that maybe they feel like could be their their future quarterback. Teams that really want that are, and have had bad quarterback play are willing to pay up for that. And so the Bears were able to extract a lot out of the Carolina Panthers. They got an absolutely incredible wide receiver to pair with Chase Claypool and Darnell Mooney. I mean, they have now, I think they have one of the best wide receiving core in the in the National Football League. So you've got a young quarterback. They've got pretty good run, running backs, which I was sad to see David Montgomery go, but I do think Khalil Herbert is pretty dang good. And I think they liked yeah. him in the way that he can run as well. So the way that Cole Komet played last year, the offense looks pretty good. And then they picked up some other good free agent signings. So I'm interested to see how it goes. I still feel like they're going to need a little bit of help on the offensive line. And so I'm hoping Absolutely. maybe with that number one pick that they have, the the, the first round pick, I get, well, I don't know if they have more than one now, but the, the, they're, they're number nine overall. I'm hoping yeah. they'll take the guy from Northwestern seems pretty good. The Skaronsky guy who's an offensive lineman. So I think that's going to be their biggest, their biggest thing in the draft is what do they get and how do they, how do they shore up the holes? But I think they've had about as good of an off season as they could have had. Yeah. I'm thrilled with it. Um, and I think last year they played last year perfectly. Let's see if Justin Fields can play. We we know he can play. Mm-hmm. Will he end up being a, a top quarterback? I think he can be with the right people around him. And then their offseason has been you know, great. I mean, the trading down in the draft is what I wanted them to do to, to stock picks. But be able to trade down and get DJ Moore, yeah. a stud wide receiver, which just makes the rest of the receiving core better because they don't have the pressure yeah. to have to be a number one. They have a great tight end. And then they got this other tight end from Green Bay that kind of helped Cole Clement. Oh, yeah. Forgot about and, that, yeah. you know, he's played with – this guy from Green Bay, he's played with Luke Getze, who's the you know offensive coordinator, who's I think really good. So I, I love what they've done. I love what they've done on defense. I love that they've signed free agents who are on the upswing. You know, this is their second contract and they really have something to prove. And so, yeah, in the draft, I do hope they go offensive line. You know, the kid from Northwestern or even from Ohio State would be fine. Although if that wide receiver falls, it'd be hard to say yeah, no to that, that too. But their that, core looks that's great. That's who I've wanted to take awesome. for a while. Yeah. But hey, their uh, core uh, looks great. And, and I, It does, yeah. You know, and, and then next year we have two first round picks. So I think the gamble <laughs> was pretty safe because – Worst case scenario, Justin Fields falls flat and is terrible, and we're like, he's terrible. They have two first-round picks next year. They can package mm-hmm. them and trade up for Caleb Williams or something. I don't think that's going to yep. happen, but what they can do next year is just put talent around him. I like Ryan Poles coming from Kansas City. I love what they're doing. I have not I – t- I've been telling people, I've not been this excited about a Bears team <laughs> and their potential since I thought Jay Cutler was going to be the guy. <laughs> Man, I was such so. a big Jay Cutler fan because I'm from Evansville, Indiana. I was too. And he's from Santa Claus, Indiana, which is about an hour or so from Evansville. And so, you know, in southwestern Indiana, you just kind of root for anybody that's able to make it out of there. And so yeah. he he just didn't 
it just didn't work out. And like he had Brandon Marshall, they had yeah. Matt Forte, they had Alshon Jeffrey for a few years, and he had all the talent in the world, but it just didn't work out. And I still, I, I just, there was nothing more fun to me during that era of whenever he would drop back and just unleash a bomb and it would oh, connect yeah. with somebody but they just didn't win oh, enough, yeah. you know, and, and they, and they, they were, I, they were still playing Aaron Rodgers, which thank God he's out of the division, but they just couldn't get over the hump. God. Yeah. <laughs> I will assist. I will say this. If people make fun of me for this, but you, you know this, if you're a bears fan, Jay Cutler, one of the top quarterbacks in bears history. Yeah. I mean, there's just no, there's no question. I yeah. mean, now it's a, it's a low bar. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a low bar. It's like Jay Cutler, Eric Kramer, Sid Luckman, you yeah. know, maybe, maybe Jim McMahon. Jim McMahon because he won you a know, Super Bowl, yeah. Not, right. But, you know, that you and I could have played behind that line. But anyways, <laughs> man, Cole Claiborne, so glad you're on here. We talk sports. We talk higher education. We talk journalism. talk your personal story. Um, I love what you do for Sports Spectrum, too. I want to encourage people to check out Sports Spectrum. Check out U.S. News and read uh, Cole's stuff on um, you know higher education. Check out Cole's Substack newsletter. We'll have links to all that in the show notes. But fellow Bears fan, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is great. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit DanielDarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at DanDarling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast.